Right now, I'm wanting us to be able to say something together. Uh, it's historically called the Apostles' Creed. Some of you are familiar with it. Some of you are not. And what I'd like us to do is, is be able to say it together out loud. But uh, for those who are not familiar with it, I'd like you to look at it and uh, think about it, whether you actually believe those things and, and want to say those things out loud. Um, and, and while you're thinking about that, I'll tell you what happened to my arm. Uh, I was uh, on my latest exercise kick and uh, walking every day and doing wind sprints intermittently uh, throughout the walk. And on one of the sprints with my dog on a leash at my left side, uh, he didn't take driver's ed and he didn't do a turn signal or nothing, but he cut right in front of me and uh, left foot, my left arm going that way. And I just, uh, nothing but my hand, right hand and my left shoulder hit the pavement. And uh, so I broke my collarbone and... Uh, and uh, I, I, learned, I learned a lot of things with this, is that uh, in Asheville, there's a waiting line for people getting this sort of thing fixed. So I'm waiting till Tuesday. Uh, this happened last Tuesday, so I'm waiting a week to get my shoulder pinned together so that I can lift my arm again. And uh, so anyway, it's a crazy deal. It doesn't hurt now. Uh, my body's gotten used to it, so it's going to hurt after the surgery, though, so... Uh, so, all right, so you don't have to say this if you don't believe this, all right, I guess is what I'm saying. So, um, but this is something that uh, the first Christ followers said together, uh, something that uh, in around 250, 300 AD in those years, that uh, believers would uh, memorize this uh, before they were baptized into Christ. So if you would stand with me, let's say this together. It covers the essentials of our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You can have a seat. Most of us are familiar with the things that are at the beginning of that creed. Yet, uh, when it comes to Judging the living and the dead uh, comes to resurrection of body and life everlasting. Those things get a little fuzzy for us. And so one of the reasons that we've been doing this series here during Advent and talking about the second Advent is so that we could clear up some of that fuzziness because we're told in the Scriptures that our eternal home, heaven, and the resurrection and Jesus' return are things that are to bring us hope as believers. And for some reason, instead, it's been twisted uh, in today's culture and in today's church where it is something that is feared by God's people. And so we have got to figure this out, and we've got to get this straight. So as we think about Christmas, we think about Joseph and Mary. Uh, think about them. And uh, at the, they're beginning in Nazareth together as a couple. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they begin making plans for the move to Bethlehem. 
and uh, because there's been this census ordered by Caesar. So Mary begins having at this time as they're packing up things, she begins to start having some light birth pains. Maybe she was lifting something she shouldn't have been lifting, and ooh, oh, something started happening. But it's not time for the baby to arrive, still a distance away. So in the same way, some 30 years later, Jesus explained that there would be signs for telling his second arrival. He called them birth pains, wars, famines, earthquakes in various places. And as Sherry explained in the first part of our series, she shared Jesus' words. And she said, and he said, Jesus said, many would turn away from the faith. The love of most will grow cold. False prophets and false teachers will appear to deceive many people. Antichrists, they're called. Or for my brain, the way I understand antichrist in the plural term is anti-Jesus teachers. But those things are not the end. They're not the end yet. Uh, Jesus says it's just the beginning of the birth pains. Jesus told us the gospel first must be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. Well, imagine Mary and Joseph. Uh, they begin their several day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And the birth pains begin to intensify. I don't know, maybe it's riding on that donkey that isn't so helpful and, uh, as they're going along. And those pains begin to intensify. And as they enter Bethlehem, the baby is about to arrive and the painful delivery begins. Jesus also described this intense time before his return, a time that God will bring the great tribulation on the earth. The description of this tribulation is unfolded in Revelation in a vision from Jesus. Seven seals on a scroll, each seal being opened, revealing a punishment on the earth. With the seventh seal revealing seven angels with seven trumpets, when each trumpet is sounded, a third of the earth or sea, or rivers, or stars, or mankind are destroyed. Worldwide calamity, not localized. And then when the seventh trumpet is sounded, this is what the scriptures say. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Revelation eleven fifteen. And as Jazz explained, we can find scriptures that would support God taking his people out of the world before this great tribulation or in the middle of this great tribulation. And this is what uh, people call the rapture, a word that is not found in the Bible, but does define the phrase caught up, which is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's something that every believer should hope for because to live and endure the tribulation would be a terrible thing. Well, Back to Mary and Joseph, as baby Jesus is being delivered in the stable, a host of angels appear on a hillside to tell shepherds of the birth of a Savior. God is sending help to mankind so they can have peace with him. The shepherds are so excited, they go and, and they find this stable where a baby is being born, and they gather around. Well, last week, Jason described that after Christ's return, there's also going to be a gathering and also a judgment at the end of all things. And there's only one thing that is needed that we bring before the judge, before the, the king, and that is our faith in Jesus Christ. Because at that point, each and every one of us will not have the ability to represent ourselves before God. 
Jesus will, only, will be the only adequate representation for us at that moment. With him, we will have everything. Without him, all is lost. Now, once Jesus is born, the pain subsides, and the joy of a mother replaces the anguish, and a baby is held in her arms. There's laughter, there's adoration, there's peace, and everything is all right. In the same way, after the judgment, everything is going to be set right in the universe. It's going to be the consummation of all things God has planned from the beginning. And what he has planned from the beginning and what he desires at the end is good. It is good. It is great. It is beautiful. It is glorious. And there are a few big elements to this consummation of all things. First being that Jesus is triumphant over all his enemies. Second, that those who stood with Jesus till the end will be rewarded. And third, as the bride finally with Christ forever, we will share a home with God in a glorified state. And I want to talk to you about those three things at the consummation of all things. First, let's talk about Jesus is triumphant. In his return, Jesus has destroyed all those who have opposed him. Revelation 19, verses 19 to 21. You see, the end really means the end. We choose our sides here on earth, and there's going to be a point in time when we will reckon for, what, for the side we have chosen. There is a time when Jesus will say, I gave you over frickin' 2,000 years to make peace with me, but instead you refused and opposed me. Jesus will be the rider on the white horse who is called Faithful and True, with justice, he judges and makes war. Some of you might be concerned, well, what if he, is he going to get the right people punished? I mean, what if he makes a mistake? Don't worry. You see, our God, he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, but he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. He's also omniscient. He's all-knowing. And because of that, he can judge with justice. You see, in our courts, we have circumstantial evidence. There's evidence when there's no eyewitness. But you see, in every case that appears before God, each and every one of us, there is an eyewitness. God was there. He has seen everything. And not only has he seen every action, heard every word, he also knows, because he's omniscient, he knows the motives of the heart. You see, he is the only true and just judge that can make judgments like no other. When he comes to make war, he will not make a mistake. With the end of those who opposed Jesus and were anti-Jesus, there will also be an end to their little dominions and their little kingdoms that they set up in rebellion here on earth. And instead, the kingdom of God will reign. And in his triumph, Jesus will also destroy death itself to be done away with, along with Satan, our accuser who will be thrown into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20, verse 10, there it is. So is the lake of fire really a literal lake of fire? You know, I don't know. In other parts of Scripture, Jesus also spoke of being thrown outside of the city gates where there is darkness and gnashing of teeth. 
Is that literal? I don't know. But here is what I do know. Darkness and gnashing of teeth, or like a fire, either place, whether it's literal or figurative, I don't want to be there. Do you? No. No one wants to be. We don't want anyone to be counted as Christ's enemies. And that is why we have an urgency to share the gospel so more people can make peace with Jesus before it is too late. We have an urgency. Christ's love compels us. Another question with Christ's triumph over his enemies that comes to me at times is will, they, will his enemies really be tormented forever? Or will they just be annihilated? I don't know with certainty that answer for people. But for Satan, his punishment in the lake of fire is described as forever and ever. And we are told anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life is also thrown into the same lake of fire. You can draw your own conclusions from that, or you can try to do a study on your own about the Jewish Sadducees who believed about no resurrection and, no, and, and uh, believed in no resurrection and believed in annihilation. But to me, it seems that Jesus did not teach this. He even publicly opposed the Sadducees and said they were mistaken when they uh, said they were mistaken about no resurrection. But the final word in all this is that in the consummation of all things, Jesus triumphs over all enemies. Evil is defeated and destroyed. Yeah, that is a good thing. Second thing. Second thing in the consummation of all things, those who stand with Jesus to the end are going to be rewarded. Reward is a good thing, guys. I know we got little leagues where you don't keep score and everybody wins and everybody's a winner and all that kind of stuff. But rewards are a good thing. When Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, each beatitude was followed with a reward. Happy are those who hunger, thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus told his followers, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much as reward. In his parables, Jesus spoke of reward to his, faithful, to his faithful servants. Those the king had given talents, and then those servants had multiplied those talents. You know what he did in rewarding them? He gave them more. To those who didn't multiply, he didn't give them any. In fact, he took away what he had given them. Reward is not equal. And in the end, Jesus will reward those who overcome this world. With Jesus' words in Revelation, Jesus gives to the overcomers. He will write on them his name, Revelation 3.12. He will give authority over the nations, Revelation 2.26. He will give hidden manna and the white stone with a new name written on it, Revelation 2.17. He will let them sit on his throne with them, Revelation 3.21. Now, I know for some in our present day, they don't like the idea of rewards. They want everything to be even and equal. But as Jason told you last week, we will each give an individual account of our lives. There is no group judgment and there is no group reward. And it's true that at the foot of the cross, the ground is even for everyone. 
At the foot of the cross, the ground is level for everyone, but each of us will build our lives differently beyond the cross, won't we? Listen to the Apostle Paul explain rewards and grace in Christ. He says this, Each one should be careful how he builds his life, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation with costly stones, woods, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. That's figurative speech there. We know that we don't put stones and hay on ourselves as we build our lives. His work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test each person's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. You see, guys, we are accepted by God only by our lives being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. What we do after that foundation is laid in our life is going to be tested. And it's when it's tested, it's either going to be burned up because false motives or we use uh, stupid stuff to build our lives with, or it's going to come through the test and it's going to stand and it's going to be rewarded by Christ. In the consummation of all things, Jesus will reward his faithful servants. And I hope you are a people that will desire great reward in heaven and not here on earth. Third thing, which brings me to the third part of the consummation, as the bride of Christ, we will finally share a home with God forever in a glorified state. The truth is that, it, that if you do just enter the kingdom, but with just the foundation of Jesus Christ, that will truly be enough. That will be enough. I'm sure it's going to be like King David saying, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. It's the whole thing of, man, I'm just glad I'm here. I'm in his house. And I don't care if I'm washing feet for the people coming in or not. I'm here with God in his house. It will be enough. And listen to Jesus' heartbeat for us. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Jesus' heartbeat, which beats at one with the Father and the Spirit, just wants you to be with him where he's at. That's his heartbeat. And that will be enough, won't it? Well, we're going to be with him. He's talking about a specific place. Where is it we're going to be with him at? Well, let's take a gander at the place Jesus has been preparing for us. It is an amazing city. He calls it his holy city, the New Jerusalem. There is no temple because the Lord Almighty is there. There is no sun or moon because the glory of God gives this city light. There is no nighttime because God's light shines eternally. And there is nothing impure in this city at all. There is a great street in the middle of the city where the river of the water of life flows down it. I don't know, you can probably imagine some of the great cities of the world, maybe like a Paris that has canals and a river flowing down it with a boulevard on each side. You can think of something like that. 
But then above this river is an amazing gigantic tree that is growing roots down onto either side of the bank of the river. And this tree is the tree of life. And the fruit from that tree of life will be for the nations. And the shout coming from the throne when we all gather there one day from the throne of God will be saying, Now the dwelling of God is with humans, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. The description of this new home with God defies human language. And the scribe John, Apostle John, he has to keep saying things like glass, like gold, like diamonds. Yes, he can only give earthly comparisons because he doesn't have words for what the things that he's seen in heaven. But what is described by John in Revelation and other parts of the Bible tells us that being with God in the heavenly city is more than being a little bit of floating, glowing gas around a big orb of light singing praise songs forever. It's going to be more than that. There is some solidity to the descriptions in the Bible. The heavenly city is the size of a continent larger than North America, and it's put down on a new earth because the old earth will be too small to contain it. Every tongue, tribe, and nation is represented around the throne of God. So these things are not erased when we arrive in the heavenly city. Your language will not be gone. Your race will not be gone. There is something precious to God about our distinct cultures, languages, and races. The mention of nations and thrones from which ruling occurs also indicates that there is going to be a new order on this new earth with this heavenly city. Not anything like the sorry government systems of our world today, but instead that peaceful government that Isaiah prophesied that will have no end. That rulership will belong to the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Amen. There's going to be a lot going on in this heavenly city on a new earth, much more than singing, folks. But that thing you can know for sure about this heavenly place is that it is a home that is safe. It's a home you can never lose to disaster or foreclosure. It's a home that is paid for by Jesus. It is a home that is filled with family that love you and love our Father in heaven. But being with God is not just about a glorified place, but it's about a glorious God with his glorified people. You see, those of you who have built your lives on the foundation of Jesus, you are going to be given a glorified body. We just said this in, in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body. This is what the Bible talks about. Now, Jason described last week that at Judgment Day, the dead and the living will be resurrected, the righteous and the right, unrighteous. And these bodies will be raised to join their spirits. Now, we know from 1 Corinthians 15 
that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So we will be changed at that last trumpet in some way. These tents that we live in, tents is the word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. These tents we live in will now be exchanged for a body that is imperishable. Yes, a body that was once mortal will be changed to immortal. Now some of you scratch your heads at that, but but think about Jesus' resurrected body. His disciples touched it, didn't they? They felt it. And Jesus, he, he ate food with them, didn't he? Yet Jesus' resurrected body was different. I mean, he could move from place to place in an instant. He could go through walls of locked rooms and showed up where the disciples were at. And of course, at his ascension, he did the Superman thing, which was pretty cool. I'm all for that with our glorified bodies. Well, it seems from the scriptures that we retain our nationality, our language, our ability to eat, feast, yet we're changed. Something has changed, and they are immortal bodies. So somehow in this, God's really into upcycling, I guess, taking something old and making it new and giving it something that you never could have given it. So I know you're eating your granola now and your food from Green Life and Earth Fair, but we're all going to die. These bodies aren't going to wear out. But the hope is, is that we'll be given new ones, new ones that are immortal. You can't grasp for immortality now, but it will be given to you through Jesus Christ. People have asked me, you know, when they think about the resurrection, the resurrection of the body, uh, there's always concerns. Well, does being cremated make a difference? And I always think of the mention of resurrected people who died at sea in Revelation 20, verse 13. Really, after a couple of thousand years, whether you're dead at sea or dead on land, your bones are going to be dust or sand. So really, you know, those people that have been dead at sea and were raised at the resurrection, and, and God knows how to put you back together. That's what that is saying. You don't need to worry about that. All right. I know another question I get when I'm with a family who's just lost a loved one to death. The question is, where are they now? I mean, Jesus' return hasn't happened. And there hasn't been a trumpet call for all the dead to rise, right? Yeah, that's true. Now, without getting into tangents about eternity being outside of time and Einstein's theory of relativity... The heavenly home is still being prepared. But Jesus did speak to the thief on the cross with some very direct words, didn't he? What did he say to this man who put his faith in Jesus right at death's door? When no one else was trusting in Jesus, when everyone else had fled and ran, this one man decided to put his faith in Jesus as he was dying. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, it seems that just as hell is described as a waiting place for the wicked before judgment and going into the lake of fire, paradise is a place for the saints before judgment and entering heaven in the heavenly city. 
Now, I know for some of you, you've, you've never really thought this out before, that your spirit might be one place and that your resurrected body would follow later. And it might be troublesome to your mind. But hear these words of comfort to believers who die before the Lord's return. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from Him. So if you're a little muddled about the resurrection of the body that comes at a later time, just remember, for those who are in Christ, to be away from your body is to be at home with the Lord. In other words, for the believer, when you die, you will go to be with the Lord. Now, I know that this brief message about the consummation of, of these things, Christ will triumph, Christ will reward, and we will be with him forever in a glorified state. I know that these will probably store up, stir up even more questions for you, and I challenge you again to read the book of Revelation. At the beginning of the book, it says, you'll be blessed. Those who read these words will be blessed. Would you like a blessing directly from God? Read that book. Look, I don't know what the blessing will be. It doesn't say, does he? No. But you'll be blessed in some way by reading those words. And I think you'll be blessed and that your fear will be changed to hope. I believe that you'll begin to see the end of all things like the first believers did. And that was our desire in doing this message series. That you, along with the original Christ followers, would begin calling Christ's return the blessed hope. That's what they used to call it. The blessed hope. You know, knowing who will meet you at the end of the journey takes the fear out of getting there. Knowing who will meet you at the end of the journey takes the fear out of getting there. So know as much as you can about Jesus, your Savior, and where He is leading you. Know as much as you can. Investigate. Discover. Guys are going to come up. We're going to continue with worship and our response to the Word of God today. And I, I believe that our response is one of joy. It's one of hope. But I know that there might be a few here that you might be struggling with a sense of terror that is based on uncertainty. And what I want to implore you to do is make things certain today. Make things certain. The Word of God is true and sure. It says that if you put your trust, your whole weight on Jesus Christ and believe that He is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Make certain. Make things certain. You do that with a choice. What you do with your trust, with your faith. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Building your life on the only foundation that will last into eternity. For sure. Would you guys stand with me right now? In our response, there's, there's worship. We, we raise our hands. 
We close our eyes. We bow our heads. Some people uh, want to demonstrate their worship even more by getting on their knees, which is a very biblical thing, showing humility. Uh, others of us may want to pray and need to pray out loud with someone. Um, and so if that's something that's going on inside your heart where you're going, there's something going on, I'm not sure what, but I need to get it out. I need to pray with someone. Then Jazz and, and Joel are over here. I'm going to be down here. Um, we'd love to pray with you to make things certain, to reassure yourself about the promises of God. And also just to, to say, I'm glad. I'm glad for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So let's worship, and let's pray, and let's respond to the Word of God.